Emergency services. Please, you gotta help me. There's this weird guy. Ma'am. Please. Ma'am, call us when you're dead. What the fuck? Welcome back, callers, to another episode of Call Us When You're Dead. I'm Keith. And I'm Ryan. And on today's episode, the season five premiere of Murderous Entertainment. Woo! Yeah, so these stories are all going to center around either a crime that inspired a movie or crimes that were committed because of movies or entertainment that we see on TV. Yeah, very interesting concept, and I am looking forward to this season. Yeah, so I, you know, we talk about it each. I think you and I probably have like a meeting, like about what we're doing, probably once a month for the podcast where we go out and we have drinks and stuff like that. Well, the reason why this is getting to you guys so much later is yesterday, Ryan and I were out and we thought it was Sunday. and we got home and we were like, oh, we got to get like everything around. We got to record tomorrow. And then I looked at the date and I was like, oh no, it's Monday. We were supposed to have recorded by now. This should have been out, you know, late last night. So yes, I understand you guys are getting this a little bit later on a Tuesday than normal, but it is still getting to you on a Tuesday. Right. We're still sticking true to the Tuesday release day. Yes. And it just, you know, it all... People make mistakes, and so we we laughed it off and just said, oh, okay, well, I guess we're doing that work later on. Yep. Uh, in other news, though, we want to shout out some of our listeners. We have Brooke B. Jonathan N. And Michael W. Michelle. Oh, I thought it was Michael. I'm sorry. I read that wrong. <laughs> okay, callers. So, for Season 5, Episode 1, we are going to be covering the Gainesville Murders. Yeah, this is this is a dark one. Yes, it is. I think it's like the darkest I think we've ever started a first season. <laughs> yeah, there there's some gruesome gruesome facts. So just a heads up once we get into the murders, heads up. Yeah, and I I I don't think that most callers are going may not know what this case is about unless they've you know really looked into it. Most people do not cover this. Right, right. So Let's jump right into it, hop into our trusty time machine, and head back towards August 24th, 1990 to Gainesville, Florida. Please keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the time machine at all times. Call us when you're dead cannot be responsible for any lost limbs. Here, we are going to meet a 36-year-old man by the name of Daniel Rowling. Danny for short. I guess before we get to the gruesome murders of this man, we'll give a little bit of history on him. He was born on May 26, 1954, to an abusive police officer father and a very fearful mother. Discipline was severe in the household. An example of this would be his father would beat him if he didn't like the way Danny was breathing. When Danny was 11, his mother tried to commit suicide to get away from his father, but failed and always ended up back with him. Could you imagine being beat because you didn't breathe? A, like, are what kind of breathing are you doing to get <laughs> right. beat? You, you breathe through your nose, not your mouth. Beating. <laughs> breathe through your mouth and not your nose. I don't know. The way you were breathing last night in your sleep made me want to <laughs> beat the hell out of you. Fair enough. That was loud. I actually even tried to wake you up over it. My bad. I'll, I'll work on stop breathing. He snores really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for an escape of his own. 
he turned to drinking and drugs. And yeah, that's that's the way to do it. Right, right. So when one thing is going really bad, let's make things ten times worse by drinking and drugs. Right. He tried to enlist into the Navy and was refused. Was it because he was drunk at the time? Because Ooh. I feel like that's probably why. Probably. He ended up joining the Air Force, which he was later discharged for drug possession. Right, because as fun as it sounds, you can't do blow in the air. Right, right. Now out of the military, he did a lot more things, of course, over this, over several years, further proving how much of a piece of trash he really is. But we're not here to get him any sympathy points. We're here to discuss the Gainesville murders. Yeah, I mean, like, everybody has a childhood. Some of them are worse than others. You as a grown adult, however, are responsible for the way you react to your childhood. And therapy is a thing. Like, we always tell people, like, if things are really bad, please go to therapy we believe everybody should really honestly be in therapy here. You know, even if you had the best childhood, you got shit to work out. Right. And not using it as an excuse to right. kill. You know, or a crutch later on to say, oh, well, my dad did this. Well, everybody's dad did something. My dad took the ketchup from me. Doesn't mean I get to go out and murder <laughs> people. Right, right. So now back to 1998. Danny would set up a campsite in a wooded area behind the University of Florida in Gainesville. He would soon begin a horrific murder murder spree as the students began their fall semester at school. In the early morning of August 24th, 1990, Danny broke into the apartment of University of Florida freshman Sonia Larson and Christina Powell. He noticed Christina was sleeping on the downstairs couch, but opted not to bother her at the time and made his way upstairs to find Sonia asleep in the bedroom. He quickly taped her mouth shut just before stabbing her to death. So, I thought that was very interesting that... Okay, I was just going to bring that up. Why <laughs> is he leaving Christina alone? You would feel as if she's the first one that you're seeing. She right. would be the first person to wake up, maybe? Yeah. In I'm, my mind, like, I, if I'm going... And I'm not trying, I guess, to get into his mind a little bit. If I'm going to attack somebody, it's going to be her first. Right, that, that's kind of what I thought, but he just left her there and that's headed just upstairs. Strange. He then headed back downstairs to Christina, who was still sleeping. He taped her mouth shut as well as bounded her wrist together behind her back while threatening her with the knife, the same knife he just used to kill her roommate with. He then cut Christina's clothes off and proceeded to do the terrible awful to her, and then forced her face down onto the floor. Once he was done, he stabbed her five times in the back, leaving her for dead. I cannot imagine the amount of sheer terror that you have to be going through as you are dead asleep. Like, I, you have been dead asleep, I have been dead asleep, where it, the whole world around us has been going off in, like, cataclysmic events of everything, and we've not woken up from it. Could you imagine being asleep and somebody just wrapping duct tape over your mouth oh god no because i i don't even think i would want to move i think there would be like the sheer like fear panic that you get where you just go really rigid because you don't know what's happening right right and then just not being able to fight back and you're just you're screwed right and, you know kind of like so the other morning i woke you up to see if you wanted some breakfast and you like got really stiff and i almost thought that i gave you a heart attack because i I was just so calm when I came in to wake you up that you were like, 
And so I just feel like that's what these girls have to be going through is, is something like that. Right. Danny then went back upstairs to Sonia's lifeless body. He ended up doing the terrible awful to her as well before cutting her nipples and keeping one as a trophy. What the flying fuck? Right. My nipples stay on my body. You don't get to keep my nipples <laughs> dead or alive. You don't get to take my nips. Well, it's just unique. It's he Danny is inside their apartment, so I'm sure their possessions are inside their apartment. Right, why not? Why not take one of their earrings, their necklace, their bracelet? Why do you take a nipple? That's just so personal. <laughs> right? Like, you know, because a possession is very personable, but a physical part of their body right, right. is almost worse than taking, like, their underwear or an earring. Right. You know, because now it's like you own part of them, like a physical part of them. But what's even worse is he's had sex with her dead body like he is now into necrophilia yeah that's also gross uh no <laughs> right no murdering people but definitely no murdering them and then having sex with their bodies right that's a whap on the nose of the newspaper right just no no <laughs> before leaving the apartment he posed christina and sonia's bodies in a sexually provocative position followed by a shower so you're telling me this man goes off murders these girls, takes a nip, and then takes a shower after arranging their bodies. Yeah. In their apartment. Yeah. And he has, and as far as we know, he has zero connection to them, correct? Correct. That is wild and deranged all at the same time. Yeah, I, it's crazy that he just had, I guess, the balls to take a shower, because it's like, he doesn't know someone else. I mean, maybe he does know someone else was coming over, or... Well, he's been out in the woods, so that makes me think that he... Like, he has watched them for so long. Oh, for sure, for sure. You know what I mean? That he knows who's coming and going. This is why you lock your shit up. Right. All right, callers. Heads up, this is the most gruesome one. I think I know where we're headed. Yep. So, on August 25th, 1990... Just one day after brutally stabbing, raping, and mutilating Sonia and Christina, Danny broke into the apartment of 18-year-old Krista Hoyt. She wasn't home at the time, but he sat around in her apartment waiting for her. When she did arrive home around 11 a.m., he snuck up behind her and put her in a chokehold. By the time that he is able to subdue her, he tapes her mouth shut and her wrists together. After guiding Krista to the bedroom, he cut her clothes off and again does the terrible awful, and then forces her to lay face down, as he did with Christina. Danny stabbed her in the back, striking her in the heart and killing her. He then proceeded to disembowel her, cutting her open from the pelvic area to the... Xiphoid process. What is that? So, your xiphoid process is if you put your hand in the middle of your chest, between your breasts, I guess. Okay. And go down, there's that hard bone. Yeah. And then you kind of get to the soft part. Yeah. Bottom tip of that bone, that bone is called your xiphoid process. Oh, shit. I'm sorry, I had to process that for a sec. <laughs> okay. He also cut off her nipples and left them beside her body. So now he's cutting them off and just leaving. What is up with cutting nipples off? Side note, like how many cases have we've heard where these killers just cut nipples off? 
I feel like a lot, like you and I, more have than heard there should a lot. be. I, I feel like there should be zero, and the fact that there's more than one. Hey, ladies out there, my lady callers, if you have a man in your life that seems a little obsessed with nipples a little more than normal, run. <laughs> because clearly that is a sign of a serial killer. Back at his ha- campsite, he realized he didn't have his wallet on him. Concerned, he left it at the Krista's apartment. He returned to the scene of the crime. Now looking at her exposed body, he is not satisfied. So he decides to decapitate her. Then, posing her body on the edge of the bed with her feet on the floor and body slumped forward, he then places her head on the bookshelf so it was looking down at her own body. That That's uh, something else. It is real fucked up. And I have seen some crime scene photos that slightly depict this because the actual crime scene photos, I know you have to go out to Gainesville and have like special permission from like gag orders that were put onto the crime scene photos to see them. I think it's just nuts. I was like, oh, I don't have my wallet. Let me go back. And then, well, since I'm here, since I'm here, let me do something horrific to this person. And I feel like disemboweling someone is already pretty fucking horrific. Right. But now you're doing it. You're going to another degree of fucking crazy. Right. Okay. So another thing that I want to add to this is Crystal Hoyt's parents are not informed right away about what has happened to their daughter, to the extent of things that have happened to their daughter. The news, however, some however gets information about it and puts it in the paper that their daughter has been decapitated. And they did not know that. The police just said, hey, sorry, your daughter has been murdered. And this kind of goes back to the case that we had about um, the law being put into place where there should be information given from the schools back in our murder on campus. Uh And this is one of those cases that I believe had the students known about it that would have protected students. But the cops are lying to they're lying to family members and they're lying to like the general public about how bad things are. So by this time, the brutal and violent murders attract media attention and scare the hell out of the students. And apparently media's uh, sending out shit they necessarily shouldn't. Yeah. So the students begin changing their daily routines, carrying baseball bats wherever they went, slept in groups, going outside in only pairs. Some students transferred and others just completely withdrew from school. So if it wasn't the students, parents that we're now finding out would be forcing their child to withdraw, come back home. Yeah, you and I, watched, we watched a documentary on this and there were, I remember the person that was in charge of the school at the time said that they didn't know like how they were even going to get the students back their money because kids had just enrolled. And right. so like they were still in the process of cashing the students' checks as these students were like, no, you're giving me all my money back right now. Right, right. And so there was like this weird limbo of things going on for these students. And some of them, like, that was the money they needed to get home. Yep, yep. We also want to make note that on the day of Krista's murder, an officer responding to a call about a bank robbery saw a suspicious man walk into the woods, a.k.a. Danny Rowling. While the man eluded them overall, the officers did discover his campsite. Among the things found at the campsite was the bag used in the bank robbery, stained red from the dye pack the bank teller put in it. At the site was a screwdriver, 
similar to the one believed to be used to pry open the locked doors the five student victims. They also found a tape player with a cassette inside. Nobody listened to the cassette until a tip came in that broke the case wide open. So, wanting to go back to kind of season one missed opportunities. Right. You find a cassette player with a cassette inside. You, You find a screwdriver that you know they've used to open doors, which I thought the doors were unlocked to begin with. But as a cop or a person with natural curiosity, wouldn't you be like, I'm going to play that tape? Right, because you know where you shouldn't find cassettes. In the woods. In, in the woods? What? On August 27th, 1990, Danny broke into the apartment of Tracy Pauls and Manny Taboada, both 23 years old. He found Manny first asleep in one of the bedrooms. Manny did wake up and a struggle ensued. Sadly, Danny won the confrontation, killing Manny, stabbing him 31 times in the end. Tracy hears the commotion, goes to Manny's room to see what's going on. After seeing Danny, she quickly ran back to her bedroom and attempted to barricade herself inside. But she wasn't strong enough and Danny was able to break through the door. He then proceeded with his M.O. and taped her mouth shut and her wrist. He cut off her clothes and did the terrible awful to her and forced her to lay face down on the floor just like he had the others. Danny then stabbed Tracy three times in the back. Roughed up and shaken from the confrontation with Manny, Danny didn't mutilate either body, but he did pose Tracy's body in a sexually provocative position, but then quickly left afterwards. On September 7th, 1990, Danny would rob a Winn-Dixie supermarket at gunpoint. Upon fleeing, the police were already there, and a short chase would ensue before being apprehended. There, he would sit until his crimes would be exposed. So I thought that was very interesting. So from August, over a four-day span, he kills five people. Yeah. And then nothing for about a month. Mm Mm-hmm. And then goes to rob a supermarket. Right, which... I wonder if that point he just felt like the heat was so on because of the amount of people that he murdered in such a short period of time, or he wasn't able to get into houses as easily. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah. Good point. Good point. A screwdriver. His only screwdriver was taken. Right. (laughs) So now he's like, shit. It's been stolen from the woods, and the tapes (laughs) have been stolen from him. So clearly, in my mind, if I was him, I would think like, oh, they're on to me, or they're going to know who I am. You know? Right, right. So this next bit just feels like it should be in missed opportunities <laughs> because the police are going to do a lot and it's all going to be wrong. Right, right. By this time, a task force was developed by the police to catch the now dubbed Gainesville Ripper, which Ooh. is Jesus. Right. Why do we give them such stop giving killers monikers? They don't right. need them. just call them the asshole. <laughs> exactly. If you just said, hey, this asshole's out murdering people, they would be like, they just called me an asshole. (laughs) They focused on a 19-year-old Edward Humphrey. He had a history of mental illness and had scars on his face from prior car accident. When searching his home, investigators found magazines of knives, guns, and pornos. Because nothing says, I'm going to murder you like knives, guns, and pornos. (laughs) You know, all of the founding three fathers of murder. Right, right, right. Pornos. Please understand their sarcasm there. 
Edward is arrested and bail is set at a million for some of the most circumstantial evidence ever. He would also set in state prison for 14 months before being exonerated by a grand jury. Okay, so you and I have found out a little bit more about bail as we've done this. So a million dollars bail would be, what? what is it again? So to if bail is set at a million dollars, to get them on bond, you got to pay 10%. Yeah. So for Edward to be taken out of jail, someone have to put up $100,000. Yeah. That's a lot of money. And keep in mind, callers, the evidence against him was visually... He looked scary because he had scars on his face. Oh, ooh. And he had magazines of knives, guns, and porn, like every 19-year-old probably does. Wait, okay, um, <laughs> so my question was, was it porn of knives and guns? Were yeah. the knives and the guns making is, making love children? Is that knife out of its sheath? <gasps> oh. Ooh, you oh. scandalous little slut, you. You little slutty knife. Mm. Is is that gun not in its holster? Mm, I like the way your curves are. Right. I like the way you ricochet back at me. What the fuck? <laughs> Sorry, this is a real fucked up case. If that's the only bit of haha I'm getting, you're going to give it to me. In January 1991, noting similarities of a triple hom- homicide in Shreveport, Louisiana, to the Gainesville murders... An investigator requested some DNA samples that were collected from the Gainesville crime scenes to see if it was a match. Holy fuck, can we... What? What? (laughs) Somebody did their job? Right. Somebody's... Dennis, can I have that case over there? With the DNA? Somebody did that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We finally got somebody that picked up a fucking phone? We we do. Oh, God. It does happen on occasion, I guess. Way to go. Whoever you are, you deserve a fucking kiss. (laughs) Now remember, Edward Humphrey is the one they believe to be the Gainesville Ripper. So, it didn't come back a match. However, it did come back a match for a recently incarcerated Danny Rollins. With a blood type of match and the realization that the campsite they found earlier belonged to Danny, investigators went back through the evidence and found at the campsite, they finally listened to the cassette tapes mentioned earlier. So we're like a year, oh, yeah. we're over a year now. Over a year since since they had this cassette tape. Did it, okay? Did that investigator, the other investigator that had those tapes, reach into his drawer and go? I know there was something just somewhere over here. <laughs> These tapes. I don't know. I think it's like a mixtape my kid made for me. Oh jeez. You know what I mean? Like right? Yeah, yeah. Because it just feels like that was how nonchalant you. Like you talked about earlier, that is the first fucking thing you should have listened to. Yes. Because it very much is incriminating on what they say. It, it is. It is. Danny was an aspiring country music singer, and the lyrics on the tape were disturbing. Most useful, though, Danny would say his full name on the tape. That sounds like something we remember from a few cases ago as well. <laughs> when they say... My name is so-and-so, and I'm going to shoot the school. Right, right, right. Then, most eerily, he signed off telling the listener he had something he had to do. Investigators suspect Manny and Tracy were murdered soon after Danny left that cryptic message. Oh, man. Yeah, so, what is it with, like, killers leaving their name? I need to know. Was that country music song? 
I'm just going to break into your house and kill you later. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, no, it was not. That is Because in my mind, that's what that song said. So, did, did you want to listen to it? No, I don't want to listen to him sing. I've heard him sing. I don't oh. ever need to hear him sing again. <laughs> so, I would rather listen to somebody. I would rather listen to the two cats that have had sex <laughs> outside of our house have sex again before I ever listen to Danny Rowland sing again. So, what I was very, like, confused, and I thought it was strange. I'm going to sing this country song. Gonna break into your house and gonna murder you. Right. And yeah. then and then sign off and say, all right. My name's Danny Rowland. I got something to go do. Exactly. I'm not, I'm not an inspiring singer, musician, but uh, I wouldn't... S- Admit to a crime that you're yes. about to commit? Yes. I would not say, oh, by the way, thanks for listening. I'm going to go murder someone. Here's my name, address, blood type, social security number. I mean, if all murderers would do that, that would be real great. Right. Make our jobs a lot easier. Right, right. So with the DNA, the campsite evidence, and the supposed confession to another prison inmate. Jesus. Did they confess or did they not? This is supposed and alleged are the two words well, that piss it, me off more than I put any. supposed because I feel like when an inmate who's in prison for life yeah. wants to get out and he happened to at some point interact with But why are Danny, we taking prison confessions from anybody unless oh, they're trustworthy? Oh, I completely agree. You know what I mean? Because I do think there are some people in prison that have done some horrible shit, but like they could be good people outside of that one horrible thing that they have done, unless it's murder. For sure. You, you know what I mean? Like there are certain situations where I'm like, yeah, you're probably always going to be a liar. But like if you're that kid that's in because you've done a little too many drugs or you were a drug seller, you know what I mean? Maybe you trust him because maybe he is telling you the truth. For sure. I but, feel like I had to backpedal a little bit because there are some situations where, like, maybe we don't listen to them. Well, that's why I put supposed because he was a murderer convicted uh, for killing his drug dealer. So, well, whether or not he said it or not, what did the they gain and what did enough. they lose in that situation? I don't know. But either way, <laughs> right? it was enough to officially charge Danny Rowling with the murders in na- November 1991. So a full year at this point now after the crimes have been committed. Oh, yes. year, Yeah, like a year and a half. So with that, now we get to go to the favorite time, which is trial time. Trial time. Trial time. Which I know this trial gets so weird. Uh, Yeah, it kind of does. Yeah, real weird. The trial began February 15th, 1994, and was expected to be a six-week trial Danny claimed that his motive was to become a superstar like Ted Bundy. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, talk about picking awesome heroes and and people to look up to. Yeah, I could think of about five other people before I think of Ted Bundy as a superhero. (laughs) (laughs) Then, in a shocking move, on the first day of court, Danny pleads guilty to all five counts of murder, three counts of sexual battery, and armed burglary, A month later, the jury would sentence him to death by a vote of 12 to 0. Okay, so something funny about that real quick. Mm. If he knew he was going to plead guilty, he probably could have gotten a deal for life with no parole. Probably. But instead, he decides to be all Ted Bundy-like, you know, the man who represents himself. Oh, God. To be like, I'm guilty. I actually forgot that Bundy represented himself. 
because he's just that narcissistic. Right. So a lot went on during the, the one court day that did occur. Yeah. Like Danny sang to his girlfriend during part of it. And I just want to know who's dating that man. <laughs> How do these people end up with girlfriends? So his girlfriend was a lady who tried to get like the inside story. It was a journalist who did like a tell all book. Yeah. And then she fell all in love with him. Uh, right. But this is not the first time that we've heard of like, oh, I know. Oh, I'm I know. the journalist and he was just so sweet and I fell in love with him. I mean, I he guess. brutally murdered five people. No offense to all journalists out there. I know. I know we do have. Uh, We're technically journalists. I know. In a we way. Are. Yeah. I guess when, when you interview killers to get the inside scoop, you it makes make you feel hot and bothered on the inside. I guess. I don't know. I've never had my butthole perkle, perkle up because it's like, oh, look at that. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> get with that, man. Right. No, no. Stop it. Like another whap on the nose to somebody. Anytime that somebody comes in and they're acting a little love struck from a murderer, there needs to be somebody there to squirt them with a lo- like a bottle of water and be like, no. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He was executed by lethal injection on October 25th, 2006. Shortly before his execution, he gave a note to his spiritual advisor confessing to the murders of the Grissom family 17 years earlier, which was the triple homicide mentioned earlier in Shreveport, Louisiana. So, I guess at least he did come clean about that. Yeah. Who is his spiritual advisor? Are they ta- are they saying, like, a father? Like it, it was a reverend. Oh, okay. So, a priest came in and gave him his last rites. Yeah, it, probably. Essentially. Okay. Yeah. And then he, he gave a note saying that it was him. When you say spiritual advisor, all I think is, like, was there... That's how he chose... Casper the friendly ghost <laughs> coming how in. how he chose to be noted as... Oh, okay. And I just took out his name and be like, if you're not proud of who you are, then you can just remain anonymous. Right. Like, you're not doing anything wrong. You're giving somebody their last rights. Right. Which, everybody is allowed to have them. It doesn't matter who you are. They're allowed to have them. Exactly. Yeah. So, how is this murder connected to the season five theme of murderous entertainment? Well, an actor, screenwriter, and horror film fanatic by the name of Kevin Williamson happened to catch an episode of Turning Point, which focused on Danny Rowland and his murder spree in Gainesville, which inspires him to write a horror movie script of his own called Scary Movie. How how original for a horror movie. Right. And we're not talking like <laughs> the comedy scary right, movie. Right. This is, this is all before that. Right. Miramax Films would end up buying that script for $400,000, pick up famous director Wes Craven, and later rename that film Scream, which would be released on December 20th, 1996. So, there you have it, callers. That is how this is related to murderous entertainment. Yeah, so I know, because I am such an avid Scream fan, I know that... The whole premise and like the there was a lot of changes that had been made into the script, but the the idea of somebody stalking people while they were safe at home, and that's why I think in the original movie there's five teens that are like the main group. You know, like they do like this very like tight knit group circle of people. Like yep. The first victim is pretty horrific. For a horror movie, I think it was the first time that like you see something as horrific as that in a horror movie, where there's the disemboweling of somebody happening, and then the parents saying it. 
there was definitely a lot of changes that did get made, but the true inspiration all came from... Williamson watching that episode of Turning Point yeah. on the Gainesville murders yep. and made a script and sold it to Miramax. Yeah, which and, has now become a giant franchise. Right? Shitty side note, are you ready for this? Yeah. You want to know who changed Scary Movie to the name of Scream? Who? A Weinstein brother. Okay, but the one Weinstein brother was not bad. Like, well, I know Harvey was a complete dick. Right. And a sexual predator, but Bob... Bob, as far as I understood, he was not not correct. I mean, I don't know too much about that. I guess we shouldn't get into it. I just recognize the the Weinstein name when it came to it that they well, are they owners own of Miramax. Miramax. Yeah, and four hundred thousand for a thirty page script—that's a lot of money, right? Could you imagine making such a small script and being like, "I made a movie," right? I'm calling it this, and then them going okay, well, we're going to take this, we're going to change it, we're going right. to call it this, and now here's half a million dollars for your idea. Like, that's crazy. I guess that just means that anything's really possible for people. Right. And another interesting fact on the Kevin Williamson, he would later on go to be the scriptwriter for Scream 2. Mm-hmm. And he would be producer on the latest Scream in 2022. Oh, the one that's... Getting ready to come out? No, the, or one, the that one that just, just came the out. The one that just came out. Okay, because there's one coming out this coming year. Yeah, no, the one that just came out. Got yeah. He was a producer on it. You know, and all of those are, I really actually enjoyed one, two, and this last one. Right, right. So I guess that makes sense because they were following his vision of what he had. Exactly. And there you have it, callers. That is the end of season five, episode one. As always, we like to focus here on national, you know, we like to focus on mental health and staying Ways awareness. Yeah. Yep. So if you're anybody that you know is having a mental health crisis or having suicidal thoughts, please know that there is help out there. And that number is 988. Or, uh, you know, we've talked about, we did talk a lot about sexual assault in this. Um, yes, yes. So the national. So if you or anybody that you know has been a victim of sexual assault and you would like help, the national number for that is 800-656-4673 or 800-656-HOPE. Again, we just want to remember the names of the five victims that were in Gainesville at the time, and that is Sonia Larson, 18. Christina Powell, 17. Krista Hoyt, 18. Tracy Pauls, 23. Manny Tabuata, 23. Thank you guys again for tuning in to Season 5, Episode 1, The Gainesville Murders. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. Also, don't forget to follow us on the socials, facebook.com slash callusdead. Follow us on TikTok at callusdead where you can see some fun videos of us, or better yet, Jakaris, the Sugar Gliders, Emma and Regina, or, of course, our fur babies, Lola and Bailey. Or email us at callusdead at yahoo.com to tell us what you thought about the case, ask some questions, suggest some cases or seasons, or just to say hi. But until then, remember to stay strong, do everything with love, know there is always hope, and in case you forget, you can always Call us when you're dead. dead.